As has already been made reference to, this is a very significant day in the life of our congregation. It's the first ordination of a ruling here in ruling elder here in almost half a century. There can't be too many churches that have ever had a longer gap. In all normal circumstances for a church to go that long without an elder being ordained would mean that the church would have closed. But God in his providence isn't finished with us yet and he has kept the doors open. And a day like this provides an opportunity to take a step back and ask the question, what is church all about? Are we ordaining an elder today simply because churches need elders? In the same way that football clubs need committee members. Is eldership an honorary role perhaps given to those who are particularly committed to a congregation? Is what we're doing today just tradition? Long hallowed tradition perhaps but tradition nonetheless? Because we have to say in other churches in our town, in many of those churches, elders are ordained and that is all that it is. It's just tradition. Even tragically in our own congregation, some men ordained here as elders in the past, as far as we can tell, weren't believers. No, no interest that we could see in Jesus Christ. And so you had men appointed to a role that they had no hope of being able to carry out. And when that happens in churches, it flows out of a wrong view of what church is meant to be about. It flows from the idea that church is understood to be about maintaining traditions, uh, that church is perhaps about keeping the leading families happy and giving everyone a say in the running of the congregation rather than church being about the worship of God and the spiritual growth of its members. And so a day like today gives us an opportunity to go back to the Bible, uh, to scrape off the layers of dust and tradition uh, that may have accumulated in our minds and to ask what church is meant to be like. And to do that, there are few better passages than John 15. Uh, This chapter reminds us that the church must be rooted in Jesus Christ. It tells us what the Lord Jesus expects to see in the life of those who claim to be his people. And it shows us what will make the difference between dead orthodoxy and a, a loving, joyful body of believers who are united to Jesus Christ and bearing fruit in this world. That is a vital difference both for James and those of us who are already elders to understand and a vital difference for those of you who are part of the congregation to understand as well. Uh, We're going to look at the first 17 verses of this chapter under two headings this morning. Saying firstly that Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. This final I am saying of the Lord Jesus is different from the others. While in verse 5 Jesus simply says I am the the vine. That's more in line with the other sayings. He says in verse 1 I am the true vine. 
And none of his previous I am statements have included the word uh, true. He, he didn't say I am the, the true light. He, he didn't say I am the true door. But he does say I am the true vine. And the fact that he uses that word true implies a contrast. Uh, that he's making a contrast with another vine. Just as when he said, I am the good shepherd, he was making a contrast with other shepherds, with the hired hands, uh, with the religious teachers of his day. So when he says that he, that he is the true vine, he's making a comparison with another vine. One that might look the part, but has no life in it. One that was once living, but is now dead. And if we know our Old Testaments, there can't be much doubt as to the contrast that the Lord Jesus is making here. Because in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was repeatedly described as a vine or a vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 5, it's a vineyard. Uh, We're told God had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He, He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, and he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. Uh, What does the vineyard represent? Uh, God spells it out, Isaiah 5, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And yet God looked to them for grapes, and they yielded wild grapes. And then the image of a vine is used in Jeremiah 2.21. That's a particularly important bit of background to this final I am saying of the Lord Jesus. God says through Jeremiah to his people, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? In fact, the word for pure in Jeremiah is the same word translated as true in John 15. In the 150 years or so before the birth of Jesus, Jewish coins had vines on them. The vine was literally the symbol of Israel. So in the Old Testament, God's people are described as the vine, whereas in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the vine. So is, is Jesus saying here that he has, he has replaced Israel as the vine? Well, the New Testament isn't actually giving us a, a completely new picture. It's not saying that Jesus ha, has replaced God's people as the vine, but rather it's filling out the, the description. It's expanding the, the Old Testament description. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus isn't saying that God's people of his day are are no longer like a vine, but he's saying that we are only part of the true vine when we're rooted in him. And that had been true in the Old Testament as well, even if it wasn't spelled out so clearly, but God's people turned degenerate when they were no longer trusting in God's promised Messiah. And in fact, even in the Old Testament, the Messiah is described as the vine. Uh, So for Jesus to say that he's the vine, for his disciples with only their Old Testaments, they wouldn't have said, oh, this is different from what we thought. They would have said, oh, yes, we see it. 
Psalm 80 is a psalm that we, we, we sang a number of times during the series on eldership. We'll be singing it again today. And in it, the writer prays, Look down from heaven and see and have regard for this your vine, for the son you have made strong for yourself. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was referred to as God's son. But they failed in their mission because they didn't reflect what God was like. But in Jesus, God's true and ultimate son walked on the earth. And he has perfectly shown us what the father is like. What is the the son to do? The son is to show us what the father is like. Israel was to do that. They failed. But Jesus does it perfectly. But then in Psalm 80, God's people are not only called God's son as they are elsewhere, uh, but God's vine. Israel was called to be the true vine, but they failed in their task because they didn't stay rooted in Jesus Christ. And that is hugely relevant for us today. There is a smell of death about many churches in Scotland. They are closed or closing, dead or dying. Why? Well, in most cases, it's because they didn't stay rooted in Jesus Christ. And it was the same with the church of Jesus' day. Uh, There was a smell of death about the Jewish church of Jesus' day, uh, which was seen so clearly when they crucified their own Messiah. They had tried to thrive as God's vine while cutting themselves off from their only source of life. They had tried to thrive as God's vine while cutting themselves off from their only source of life. And so even before we get into the more practical parts of the sermon today, I hope you can see how relevant this all is to an elder ordination. Because it's a picture of the the vital connection there must be between the church and Jesus Christ and a warning of what happens when this vital connection between Christ and the church is severed. As well as a reminder that if an elder is to bear fruit, then like like any other believer, he must be rooted in Jesus Christ. But sometimes the the connection uh, between uh, the church and Christ can be severed. Uh, The connection between individuals and Christ uh, can be severed. because it was never really there in the first place uh, and the connection between whole congregations of God's people or or professing believers uh, and Christ can be severed. And that is a, a scary thing. But what is even more scary is that it can happen without anybody really noticing because church activities can just carry on as normal when the very connection to life has been cut off. There was a book that came out about 10 years ago. It's been on my to-read list ever since. I only got round to getting a copy this week. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. A trellis being the, the wooden thing you might have in your garden that, that climbing plants can, can climb on, can grow on. And the book uses the, the trellis and the vine as a description of the work of the church. 
Vine work involves planting, watering, fertilizing and tending the vine. That represents people being evangelized, converted, taught God's word and growing in Christian maturity. But just as a vine needs a trellis to grow on, so in the church there has to be a certain amount of structure and organization. And the two are meant to work together. The whole point of of a trellis is to support the growth of the vine. But the problem is that in many churches, as time goes on, trellis work tends to encroach upon or even take over from vine work. There are committees, programs, activities that, that a lot of people are spending a lot of time keeping going. But the actual work of tending to the vine falls to very few. Trellis work is easier for us. By nature, we shy away from vine work. The authors of the book give a couple of examples. They say, what would you rather do? Go to a church cleanup day and sweep up some leaves or share the gospel with your neighbour over the back fence? It's not saying one is needed and the other isn't, but but which do we do more naturally and more easily? Which is easier to have a church meeting about the state of the carpet or to have a difficult talk with a friend where you need to rebuke them for their sinful behaviour? It is scarily possible for churches to have loads of activities going on, to be running lots of different organisations and have people serving on lots of committees, but very little vine work is actually being done. The gospel isn't being shared with unbelievers in the community. Those who are already in the church aren't being built up and discipled. The spiritual health of the congregation doesn't improve over time. Uh, maybe even deteriorates. But no one really notices because there's so much trellis work going on. Like the fig tree cursed by Jesus, there are lots of leaves but little fruit. So where does the ordination of an elder fit into that picture? Well, it's not vine work in and of itself. Uh, Men are ordained in churches who aren't even believers and there's no way that they're going to be engaged in any sort of vine work. Uh, There's no way those men are going to be encouraging people in their walk with God. In fact, the vine has withered and died long ago, but the work of maintaining the trellis is still being carried on. But what we're doing today here is trellis work for the purpose of vine work. Trellis work for the purpose of vine work. Why did God give elders? Well, not to keep an institution going. Ephesians 4 tells us that it was to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or as we saw during our sermon series on elders from Titus chapter 1. Elders are given for the sake of the faith of God's elect. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. 
And so today God is giving us a new elder in our congregation, not so we can build and maintain our structures, but so that people can be built up in the faith. So firstly this morning, Jesus is the true vine. But then secondly, those who are truly Jesus people will bear fruit. Those who are truly Jesus people will bear fruit. An ordination sermon should address both the congregation in which the man is being ordained as well as the man himself. And verse 2 of this chapter is particularly relevant for both categories. Because it reminds us what God expects from each and every one of his people. And understanding that will help you understand what your elders biggest priority is. And it will help James and the other elders understand what our job is to be focused on. And so it's absolutely vital to see what Jesus expects of his people in verse 2. When he says of his father, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does that imply? It implies that every true believer in Jesus Christ will bear fruit. If we are truly rooted in him, we will bear fruit. There are plenty of people in Scotland who still sit in churches. Uh, There are plenty who think of themselves as Christians, either because they live decent lives or because they go to church or because they went through an experience years ago and they, they think as a result that they are born again. But Jesus is here telling us that those who are truly his people will bear fruit. And in fact, those who call themselves Christians and don't bear fruit will one day, in the words of verse 6, be thrown into the fire and burned. And that's important for James to know as an elder. So that he won't be satisfied simply to see more people coming to the church but that he'll be looking for fruit. It's important for our session meetings when we meet together as elders so that we don't become so focused on trellis work that we forget that the whole point of the things that we organise and facilitate is to see people bear fruit to the Father's glory. This is also important for James because it reminds him as it reminds the rest of us that we cannot produce this fruit in people. Only Jesus can do that. You know, we can maybe put, put pressure on people to, to do things. Uh, some, some sessions are, uh, do that. They, they put pressure on people to, to do things. But... The danger of doing that is it doesn't actually produce fruit. Only Jesus, by his Spirit, can produce the fruit. And so, yes, we we call on those in the church to to be who they say they are, but, but we cannot produce fruit. But on the flip side, if someone is connected to Jesus Christ, it's not just that they, they might hopefully bear fruit, but they will bear fruit. And so in a way, our goal as elders is to connect people to the power source and to make sure they don't become disconnected from it. 
this past week, Stephen and Brenda McCollum and the kids moved down from Stornoway to Airdrie uh, at about the, the third event uh, after the ferries were cancelled, uh, ahead of Stephen becoming Airdrie's new minister in a few weeks' time. The house that they'll be staying in until the manse is ready for them. It didn't have uh, some appliances, so the church in Airdrie were sorting them out with a washing machine and a fridge. But you could do all the the heavy work of uh, lifting appliances, bringing them to a house. You could put them in place knowing that they'll fit because you've been along beforehand and measured uh, carefully whether they'll fit. But until you actually connect those appliances to the power, they won't do what they've been designed to do. And in the same way, if someone is to be a real fruit-bearing believer in Jesus Christ, they must be connected to the power source. They must be plugged into him. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does it look like to be plugged in to Jesus Christ? Well, first and foremost, it means to be connected to him by faith. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, then if we're not connected to him by faith, we will have no life in us. We cannot possibly have any life in us. There is no possibility of life in the branches unless they are connected to the vine. Just like a fridge can look shiny and modern, but the food inside it is rotting because it isn't switched on. So people can sit in churches, but there's no fruit in their lives because they're not connected to the power source. And their lives may be rotten outwardly, or they may be respectable outwardly and rotten on the inside, but in either case, they're dead. I often get asked as a minister about hypocrisy. Sure, sure, those people go to church and look at them. But simply going to church doesn't connect someone to the vine. Now as elders we can't see into people's souls. But it is our great concern and desire that those who come to church wouldn't simply be here in body but would be here in spirit. That they would be connected by faith to Jesus Christ. And perhaps in God's kindness this sermon might be what he'll use to show you your true condition. And lead to someone putting their trust in Jesus Christ alone. Rather than just relying on coming here each week. So what does it look like to put your faith in Jesus Christ Well, it means hearing what he says and it means believing it. And then acting in light of it by repenting of your sins and putting your trust in him. That's how the Christian life begins. But it's also how the Christian life continues. The word abide is used lots of times in this chapter. It just means remain. It means stay. So how does someone remain? How do they stay in Christ? Well, in verse 7, those who abide in him have his words abiding in them. Churches which abandon God's word wither and die. 
You don't need to take my word for it. Just just look at the average town in Scotland. Look at uh, the churches there that have closed uh, and, and go back and, and ask uh, how big a role God's word was playing in those churches in the decades before they closed. But individual Christians also wither and die without God's word. You won't be able to grow as a Christian. You won't be able to bear fruit as a Christian. You won't even be able to survive as a Christian if you're not plugged into Jesus Christ through his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's why it's so exciting to hear some of you who have started uh, coming along and, and you're, you're reading the Bible every day. You can't get enough of it. That's why the big focus in this congregation is on God's Word. That's why we have two services each Lord's Day. Because we believe that the preaching of the Word is the primary way through which people are saved in the first place and then built up in their faith. In Romans ten seventeen, just after talking about those who preach the gospel, Paul says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our desire as elders, and I'm sure uh, this will be something James will be encouraging people in, in his role as an elder, is that everyone who is physically able would be at church morning and evening on the Lord's day. And it's not about having people attending meetings. It's not about statistics. It's because we want to see you bearing fruit to the Father's glory. And the preaching of the word is the key means God has appointed to equip you to bear fruit. The Lord Jesus says in verse 7, If my words abide in you. This isn't about having a passing acquaintance with God's word. So many of our 168 hours each week are necessarily spent in the world. But each Lord's Day we have, we have a whole day to devote to God and particularly two hours where we get to come and hear not what, what the news would say to us, not what social media would say to us, but what God would say to us. What is it to come to a worship service? Because to our eyes it doesn't look anything special. But by faith we believe it is. As Cornelius says to Peter in Acts chapter 10. It's to come together in the presence of God. To hear all that the one sent by God has been commanded to say. And that explains why we as elders will emphasize public worship above everything else. Because it is the main cable through which God wants to connect you to the power source. To change the analogy from a big appliance to a mobile phone or a laptop. Phones and laptops can run off battery power for a while but they need regularly plugged in. Uh, perhaps we could say that reading the Bible by ourselves is like those power bricks that you can get. If you're out and about, you can plug your, your phone or your laptop into a power brick and it will keep going a while longer. Uh, but it, it's not the main way that, that you're meant to, to give power to your device. And the emphasis in Scripture is on the public proclamation of God's Word to the gathered congregation of God's people. 
and it teaches that when that happens, God is present in a special way to bless us. Now, of course, it's not enough simply to be hearers of the word. Jesus' brother James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But the fact that we're not to be hearers only doesn't mean we're not to be hearers. Uh, he- being hearers is the starting point. It's not the destination, but it is the starting point. And in fact, our, our desire not to be hear- hearers only is one of the reasons why we have at least one Bible study each week in order to talk through one of the previous Lord's Day's sermons and discuss its application in our lives. The desire to, to, to not simply be hearers is one of the reasons why we emphasize spending time together informally as well after the evening service each week at our monthly church lunches in one another's homes because it gives further opportunities for us to discuss God's word together uh, and how it applies to our lives, to, to share any challenges or struggles that we're currently facing, uh, to know how better to pray for one another, to, to learn from one another and encourage each other. It doesn't mean we can't talk about normal things at, at these times, but there are also occasions where, where someone might uh, confess to someone else an area in which they've fallen during the past week. It might be an occasion where, where someone asks about a topic and someone else says, across the table, I've just read a great book on that, I'll bring it next week and lend it to you. If we're to be, to be bearing fruit as Christians, we, we need to be sitting under God's word as it's proclaimed, sitting under God's word both physically but also in terms of having a humble attitude. And we also need to put ourselves in situations where God's people can speak God's word into our lives. Not just turning up and then disappearing. Those who are truly Jesus people will bear fruit. But as we draw the sermon to a close this morning... What does that fruit look like? Uh, We've talked about the the, um, importance of bearing fruit. We've talked about the means of bearing fruit. But what does the fruit actually look like? What will James and the other elders be praying for and looking for in our lives? Well, I don't think there can be any doubt uh, that what the Lord Jesus has in view here is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. If you haven't heard the term fruit of the spirit before, it's a list of characteristics found in Galatians chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of God's people. And the fruit of the spirit are about how we act in relation to other people. Not just whether we think of ourselves as loving, joyful or patient people, but whether those qualities are on display as we interact with others and particularly as we interact with other believers. The greatest need of doctrinally sound churches in Scotland today is that they would live out the fruit of the Spirit and that they would live out the one another commands of the New Testament. And the reason that I say that is because the greatest need of The reason that I say it is the greatest need of doctrinally sound churches in Scotland is because often it is there, it is our greatest failing. Uh, 
Yes, we need to emphasize the public means of grace, but being at them isn't an end in and of itself. They must lead to an encounter with the Lord Jesus who is present to bless as we gather together. And they must lead to us living more like him. Otherwise, the the purpose of, of these events has miscarried. We need uh, the fruit of the Spirit more and more to be shown in our lives. And we need more and more to live out the one another's. And that is exactly the type of fruit the Lord Jesus is speaking about here. Look what he says in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Right there we have the first fruit of the Spirit, love, the first and primary fruit of the Spirit. And we have the most important one another command to love one another. And one of the greatest joys of being an elder is that you get to see ways in which that is happening that others don't see. Uh, I'm sure coming up to today, James has been thinking of some of the the challenges and the, the responsibilities that being an elder will involve. But there are also special joys And I can say as your minister that there are always little acts of practical love and care and kindness that people in the congregation are showing to one another that that most people never hear about. Hospitality, meals being made for people, phone calls to those who are struggling, practical help being given, whether that's DIY, childcare, cleaning, helping someone move house. Sitting down and talking about the Bible with a new believer. Talking to someone about an area of Christian obedience that they're struggling with. Even going into a day like today, there have been people asking how they can help with the church lunch. Others contributing money for it. The church being cleaned, the brass being polished. Because of love for God and love for his people. And as elders we get to see what's going on behind the scenes. And what makes it especially joyful, it's, it's when it's not anything that we as elders have, have suggested to people that they might want to think about doing. Sometimes we, we do that and it's great when people respond to it. Uh, but, but even more so when people just do it off their own bats because uh, they are branches of the vine and they're connected to the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. And as a result, they're bearing fruit to the Father's glory. Just to see that is one of an elder's greatest joys. The flip side of that, though, is one of the elder's greatest sorrows. When there are those in the church who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but their lives don't seem to show any evidence of that. Where there is no fruit, Where if someone had to be convicted of the crime of loving their fellow Christians, there would be no evidence for it. And elders want to try and get alongside such people and ask them hard questions at times, not because they don't love them, but because they do. Because they know that one day those who uh, merely have an association with Jesus Christ, but who aren't bearing fruit, will be thrown into the fire and burned. 
people won't usually welcome that. But as the rest of the chapter goes on to remind us, the Lord Jesus laid down his life for the sake of the branches. And the servant is not greater than his master. Who is sufficient for these things? So asked the Apostle Paul on one occasion. I'm sure James has been asking the same question. As anyone does who has ever taken their ordination seriously. In and of ourselves we aren't sufficient. Uh, But this chapter of John's Gospel ends by pointing us to the Holy Spirit. Who will be with James in a special way to help him carry out his calling. And receiving that promised grace is pictured in and even realised in uh, the act of ordination. uh, Which we will proceed to uh, next with God's help after we sing a psalm together. Amen. Uh, Well, let's now sing the psalm I referenced earlier, psalm number 80. Psalm 80, uh, singing verse 3 to the end on page 181. Psalm number 80, page 181. It's a psalm that in verses 3 and 4 laments over the condition of God's vine, but prays for its restoration And a psalm which in the final verse ties the health of the vine to the Son of Man. That's exactly what Jesus does in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Because it's only when the church is rooted in Jesus Christ that it can bear fruit to the Father's glory. Psalm 83 to the end. Uh, Let's sing praise. (laughs) 